Hi guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate all of the support and staying alongside the audio to now visual component of Beans Without Boundaries. Uh, going forward with the second season, we do have like an, a little bit of increase of cost. So we set up a little donation thing through Buy Me A Coffee. It's a little website that if you're willing to just splurge, there's an option for being able to just buy me a coffee. It also gives me a good idea if you really are enjoying our content and would like to help support and continue it. The link will be in the description underneath the YouTube video. It's also going to be in the description for Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, Whichever platform uh, would be greatly appreciated to just continue following along the journey and whatever you're willing to just kind of help with feedback, whether it's comments on the videos or just going on social media. Um, And if you're feeling typically generous, It'd be great to just throw a coffee my way. Thanks for listening in and until next time. So, hi. Hi. Sorry, I'm a person that does have a lot of energy. Um, That's okay. Welcome. To the show. Thank you. I have been recommended by you. By I somebody. Heard. Um, okay. So I will be upfront. I am coming into this pretty blind, so I can't wait to get to know you through this episode. Awesome. Oh, that's fun. So go ahead and like just take a minute to introduce yourself. Okay. Hi, I'm Stacy Linden. I am the Cupping Lab Manager for Swiss Water Decaf. Um, so I look after all of the quality control here at Swiss Water. Um, <laughs> Is it hard? I, it's I, always a little bit awkward. It's like we're in school. It's always a little bit awkward, right? When you're like introduce yourself and you're like, I, I don't know. What do I say? It's okay. I what? just need a few, a few things that I can just <laughs> bounce off of so that it can yeah. kind of just flow. So QC um, in Swiss decaf, you said? Swiss water decaf? Swiss water, yeah. So I'm in Canada. Um, I've been in coffee for over 20 years. Wow. Um, competed in barista competition, Brewers Cup, Cup Tasters, Coffee and Good Spirits. I have coached in the U.S. and Canada for barista, roasters, and Coffee and Good Spirits. Um, I have won barista league. Um, wow. That's wild. There you go. So many things under your belt that you've accomplished. Yeah. And I think Bethany was the one who Mm -hmm. recommended. Yeah. So I met Bethany at golden bean this year, which is a roasting competition that happens in North America and in Australia. Um, been doing that for 10 years. Wow. How did you, how did you get into doing coffee specifically? What got you also interested in wanting to do decaf? But in decaf. Okay. Well, I was working in coffee all through university. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of the job that I was doing. And then once I finished university, I became an archaeologist. I did that for a little while. Whoa. (laughs) And then in between contracts, 
a friend of mine was opening a cafe and was like, do you want to help? And I said, sure. Um, archaeology in the Pacific Northwest is very cold and very wet. So it was nice, nice to come inside for a little while. And then I started competing. Uh, and then after that, I started roasting. And then I kind of just kept mm-hmm. going with with coffee. And then I guess two, almost two years ago now, they needed somebody here for QC at Swiss Water. Mm-hmm. And so Mike Strump, who is our director of coffee, reached out to me and he was like, do you know anybody who would be interested in this job? I was like, well... I, I might right. be interested in this job. <laughs> um, so I kind of took the job. I came in pretty blind, to yeah. be totally honest. But I'm, I've kind of jumped in head first to pretty much every job I've done in this industry from, yeah, from barista to, to here. It's kind of been like, oh, do you want to do this? And I'm like, why not? Right. You know, I may as well give it a try. Um, it, yeah, again, I honestly didn't know a lot about decaf before coming here. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, they like soak it in water and then something happens and the caffeine goes away. And mm-hmm. and then it, then it's decaf is kind of like where my realm of knowledge on that was. Yeah. So it's been a huge learning, like learning yeah. experience being here for me for the past like two years now. I, um so pretty much I just got asked and I said, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like super interested in hearing more about like, progressively we'll get through it, but like starting yeah, at the origin of archaeology, like what got you interested in that? Was yeah. it another like, I'm just going to dive into it? Or was it something that kind of like started and then grew into? Pretty a- much. It was, I mean, when I started going to university, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like most, you know, 20 year olds or whatever, you have no idea. It yeah. was just one of those things. My parents were like, you have to go to university or you have to move out. And I'm like, okay, right. here we go. <laughs> so I just started taking anthropology classes and I, I really liked them. I, I love you know, the study of culture right. and the study of society mm-hmm. and and all, all of that. And then I started to focus more on Pacific Northwest First Nations since I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Um, and just having a better understanding of Indigenous land and, mm-hmm. you know, where we are and, and kind of working more on that side of things. So working with Indigenous people and learning more about about them and everything to do with that was was really important to me. Um, A lot of my friends growing up were Indigenous, and Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to be a part of so many amazing things, and I I wanted to learn more. Um, So that's that's where that (laughs) kind of led, Uh, and then I ended up working more in the archaeology department or field of anthropology mm-hmm. um, and working with different indigenous bands up here before, before coming back to coffee. Yeah. And then kind of those parallels just to like, often we're, we're working with different indigenous peoples in producing countries as right. well. 
So there is a lot of parallels as well in what we do here in coffee as well. So, you know, getting to tell those stories. So you said you started working as a barista during your university years? Yeah. Were you also studying anthropology at the same time then? Yeah. So how did the the distinction of choosing coffee go for you when you were studying anthropology and then archaeology? How did it? Um, I think I've all... When I started in coffee, coffee was not good. Like, this is a long time ago. Yeah. Um, you know, we still had flavored coffees. You yeah. Know, like, flavored coffees and portion packs, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. So, it was definitely more of a, a social thing, mm-hmm. even. You know, it was, get it, and I lived in a small town, and it was about kind of getting to know the people that were coming in the door every day. Yeah kind of, you know, doing my own anthropological <laughs> studies, really, like from the very beginning, right? It's mm-hmm. just for me, people have always been the important part. Um, and cafes being, you know, a center of like, again, this is before a lot of, you know, Facebook and all these kinds of things, right. you know, before we were all stuck on our phones, mm-hmm. it was still kind of an area of like connectivity, and talking and spending time together. And, you know, there were no laptop campers. There there kind of was none of that. So it was still kind of that more social space. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning other people's stories, which is, again, like the main part of, of being an anthropologist is, mm-hmm. is telling stories and learning about, about culture and society. Right. And seeing this kind of culture happen, you know, within this small little establishment, is it's pretty special. How has it been for you uh, now? I mean, like, obviously, you kind of saw this transformation from when you were talking about it not having, like, this kind of lack of society or communication aspect in coffee culture now for cafes versus um, what you were used to before. Like, what are your thoughts on that? That's on. <laughs> um, I mean, I am a big advocate. I kind of love it when people say, you know, there's no Wi-Fi or there's no plugs or there's, I, I mean, I think there is a shift mm-hmm. these days to becoming like, like kind of stuck being away from being like yeah. the internet cafe. And I, I think there is like a shift that's happening again, which is really exciting is seeing you know, coffee shops becoming or attempting to become more of like a special, a special place to yeah. like have conversation and to meet with, with people. And I think, you know, now that we're coming back, back into the world and everything, mm-hmm. I think, you know, having the opportunity to go and talk with people and spend time with people is a lot kind of more special mm-hmm. than I, like it may have been. Yeah, I think COVID has a lot to do with us appreciating community spaces more than when we kind of like took them for granted before. Exactly. So you started as a barista and then what was the train step after that? The train step after that, um, I started, well, yeah, I was a barista for a long time and then, and then I went, well, I stopped being a barista Mm -hmm. and I came back. 
And then while I was working as a barista, I got asked uh, if I had ever thought about competing. Mm -hmm. And I had honestly never. Yeah. And it had never been on my radar at all. I was like, what is that? Mm -hmm. I don't even know what that is. Um, So I did a little like with the, the company that we were buying coffee from at the time, did a little like training session. So I went to that with a couple of the baristas that I was managing at the time, hoping that one of them would do it, but none of them did it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I will do it this year, but one of you has to do right. it next year kind of thing. So yeah, I, I decided to do barista competition that year. And that's kind of, yeah, where, where everything kind of started to take off for coffee. And then after I finished my first barista competition, a customer came in to the shop and asked me, oh, have you ever thought about roasting? <laughs> and I was like, no, not really. Well, you should go meet my friend. He roasts every, uh, I don't know, every Sunday or every Monday mm-hmm. at this place in the city. You should go see him. And so I did. As you can see, I'm like, yeah, sure. It tends to be like, <laughs> that's, just, that's just what I did. And then I went to this shop downtown in the city. I was living in a small town at that time. Um, and yeah, there was a man there roasting in the back. And I kind of like knock on the door. I'm like, hi, what are you doing in there? And I kind of spent the day with him just watching, like sitting on the dishwasher pretty much, just kind of like watching what was going on. And then slowly he's like, oh, do you want to put one in? Mm-hmm. Do you want to press the button? Um and then kind of got asked if I wanted to come back the next day mm-hmm. or like next week. And I did. And then slowly kind of progressed with that. And that's how I learned to roast. Um, it was for a nonprofit social enterprise that uh, helps women get out of at-risk situations and kind of come back into the more mainstream workforce, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, so they also kind of wanted a woman yeah. to be roasting, but, uh, at that time there were no women mm-hmm. roasting in Canada. Actually, my friend and I have realized since then that we were both on opposite sides of the country about as far away from each other as we possibly could be feeling like we were literally the only two women in the entire country roasting. Oof. But we know there was at least two of us now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then I just kind of kept... Climbing that ladder. Climb that ladder. I love how organic it seemed. Like, it didn't seem like you were particularly seeking it out. It just sort of was just like, I have an opportunity. Do you want to take it? Yeah. I think... And I think, you know, it's important to take those opportunities, too. Mm-hmm. I think. You know, you can be shy and you can be nervous. But most of the time, I feel like it's going to work out. I mean, so far, it's worked out for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I think you're the, the best representation <laughs> of, I think it worked out for me. Um, so, yeah. roasting and then com- competing. How has competing been for you? Uh, like, do you feel like you kind of found your stride in co- competitions? Or did you, like, do it once and you're like, I'd, I could just never do that again. Um, I mean, 
The first time I competed was pretty crazy. Uh, barista competition is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. I will never do it again. Um, I managed to make it to nationals on my first go. Oh my God. Um, which was wild in itself. Um, but again, I, I came from a small town and a like super small cafe. So it, it was just me and my mom at nationals. <laughs> like it was wild. And just like seeing all these like, you know, huge teams and just like so organized. And we didn't even like understand like the level at mm-hmm. that point. Like I had no idea like the level of seriousness that any of this was. And you kind of get there and you're like, whoa, okay, so this is it. Like there's teams and like all these people and they're like organizing their stuff and they've got other people doing their dishes. And and then, yeah, there's there's me and my mom and I'm like, cool. And at one point, like I remember like walking up on stage and I'm like looking out into this like pretty big crowd or it felt huge, Mm -hmm. you know. Whether or not it was, I have no idea. But in my head, still, (laughs) the, the crowd was huge yeah and I'm like I don't remember anything I'm gonna say I mean I could just walk away my mom has to love me (laughs) (laughs) you know and it's funny because like there is this she wasn't my friend then but she was kind of like like one of the judges and she's kind of giving me that look like you can do this Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at her and I'm like I can do this and I did and I finished and it was so funny because I ended up meeting her like later on. And like, I remember when I judged you, you were like so nervous. Yeah. And like, and she had never felt like she could compete. And she's just like, well, you know, like if you could do it and you finished it, mm-hmm. she's like, that kind of gave me the courage to do it. Right. She's yeah. like, you were just putting yourself out there. So I think those are kind of like the really important things that you kind of don't notice the happening when they're happening or like it's those stories that are super special is when it comes back to you and you, you kind of feel like it was a failure, but then you're like, Oh, well, I inspired somebody to like, give it a shot. Yeah. I think I love this like humble beginning it seemed like there was a humble beginning story and then it kind of like transpired into like you being and doing all these other things throughout the course of your coffee journey. Do you have any like extremely memorable moments during your journey so far? My journey so far. And that, that was definitely a memorable moment. I think was just kind of, yeah. Um, and then I mean, I feel like there's like a lot of like I've I've had the opportunity to compete a few times. Um, I think winning Barista League was a big one. That was a big surprise. Um, like, I, it's kind of one of those things, you know. You kind of go out there and you're like, you do your best, and then you're like waiting for them to hand out your like your little like grab bag. Like, yeah, you did good. And then they don't call your name and they don't call your name and they don't call your name. And you're like, oh, my gosh, we're in the final three. You know, and you're kind of standing up there and you're like, "Okay, well, they didn't call our name for third. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're in the final two. And in my head, I'm like, oh, we're totally second. 
because I don't know. I don't know why I think, you know, because and then when you're, yeah. And then like winning was, that was, I think that's probably like one of my most memorable moments for sure. So when you kind of escaped the competition world, did you go straight to roasting from then? Or was Uh, that just like a long side of doing that too? Yeah. I mean, I, I still compete now. Okay. Um, so, and I, I don't roast anymore, which is, which is a weird thing. Feels a little weird. I thought I would roast forever, to be totally honest. Oh, you really enjoyed it then? I did, yeah. Um, I did really enjoy roasting. I, I mean, I still roast the office coffee here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I do roast a little bit and then sample roasting. But, yeah, I did, I did really enjoy roasting a lot. Um, and I've chosen to, yeah, always compete. Um, kind of one of those things I, I made a friend, I guess like five years ago or so. And he's like, yeah, I just kind of try everything. Cause you know, like why not try everything right. once? And I was like, that sounds like fun. <laughs> like, why not? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think kind of. I used to play like a lot of sports when I was younger. And then as an adult, you know, I, there's not as much time or there aren't as many things to do. So like coffee competitions are kind of like my sport. I would assume that's a sport too, with all of the stuff that I've watched having to have been done. There's yeah, there's a lot with that mentality of when you walked into it and you're like, whoa, that's a lot. I, I also was just like, whoa, this is a lot. Like, I don't know if I could have it in me to, to, to do all that under pressure. Yeah. So it's kind of like my, yeah, my outlet for like my competitive mm-hmm. side, which is really nice. So that's kind of, I, I, yeah, I really look forward to it a lot. So when you, uh, started working in decaf. How was that transition from working mostly in, in caffeinated coffee? Well, the funny thing is I still work mostly in caffeinated coffee. Oh. Um, I, I mean, I, I still, I mean, I do both. Mm-hmm. But so our lab, um, we cut all of the pre-shipment samples and approve or reject them before then we cup all of the arrivals. So this is all regular coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so we cup and approve anything before it goes into the decaffeination process. Oh. The majority. So you yeah. cup it before it gets decaffeinated? Yeah. Wow. I cup, it, I cup it to make sure that, you know, there's no defects, um, that it has the right profile that we're looking for. And so kind of those things. So we cup everything before it goes through. And then once it's been decaffeinated, we also cup it next to the original grain. Mm -hmm. So we're always cupping it with the original coffee, even to make sure that it is as close to the original product as possible. I was going to ask, like, how much of the flavor profiles actually change? Is it like a significant change after the process it goes through? It's really interesting because we actually just moved to a brand new facility. Mm-hmm. Like we were up and running officially, like completely since July. Um, 
And so it was really interesting to see the change from like our old facility to the new facility. Because before, I think there was definitely kind of this like flavor, right? I mean, all decaf has a flavor. Um, But what I found from our original plant is that we had kind of this like more like perceived acidity. Mm -hmm. Like that was like the biggest change for me. Whereas here, I don't know if it's with the new technology or the new things that we're doing, but it is, it's much, much closer than it was before. Yeah. So we actually look at, we have a scale that's called likeness and how much like alike the two coffees are. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that like score kind of go higher, well, than it ever was well, I've been here at least. Yeah. So it's a really interesting thing to see. Um, again, it's always going to taste a little bit different. I yeah. think it's virtually impossible because it goes through such a huge change mm-hmm. to become decaffeinated. Um, I think kind of the most common things that we see here is that it that it's just like a little bit more like savory, mm-hmm. I would say is kind of the thing that we see the most. But yeah. overall, it's quite close. So when you brought up your old lab and being able to taste more of the acidic front after the change versus now it having a closer likeness, mm-hmm. how much of the uh, change of technology you said kind of impacted a lot of the ability for the likeness to stay closer to the original green what what an amount in that amount of time kind of like grew the technology to get it that way i think it's just our production like i mean obviously our production team like our production team paid attention to all of the things that are at our old facility that were working that weren't Mm -hmm. working and then while building this facility we you know obviously had the opportunity yeah to make all of those changes that, that we wanted to make. And again, it's just like, it can be like, I think it's little things like there's um, devices that like clean the coffee a little bit better before it goes into the process. Mm-hmm. Our dryers, I think are more even dry, you know, like it's just the little things like it gets dried out more evenly. It gets, there's just like, it's honestly just like little tiny things. Yeah. Like the attention um, to details make a difference, it seems. Yeah, and and having the ability to just kind of make those really small, like fine adjustments, mm-hmm. um, you know, and kind of build, I don't know, our dream plant, if you will. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it seems um, like um, it's working out in that favor yeah, then. So, I think so. So I know that this is a multi-layered question, but okay. if you could... You can sum it up or you can go into as much detail as you really want to. How would you describe the the decaffeinated process? Like how how does it happen here? Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So first first we get green coffee. Then the green coffee is, um, I guess, first the silver skin comes off. So we kind of get rid of that that layer so that, you know, it's kind of just one, it just makes it easier for the process. Well, mm-hmm. I'll, explain, I'll explain a little bit yeah, why. Yeah. So then it, then it gets soaked in just like 
kind of like a warm hot water until the band the the band the bean expands just mushing those two words together so the bean expands 50 percent, and so it's like it's become more porous and like more like soluble Mm-hmm. Then the bean gets put into green coffee extract, which is all the soluble compounds found in green coffee minus the caffeine. Mm. And then what happens is the green coffee extract takes on that caffeine from the coffee through osmosis. And then once the coffee is 99%, 99.9% caffeine free, it's removed from the green coffee extract and then put on the dryers. Once it comes back down to about 10% moisture, the coffee is ready to be bagged, shipped, and sold. And that's it. Wow. Does it, <laughs> when it's going through that osmosis process, how how is that being circulated? Is it in a tank? Is it in like an irrigation system? Like what is Yeah. We have these big, giant, like, cylindrical tank. Um, And then, yeah, the green coffee extract kind of just flows through the coffee. And then our other lab has all kinds of crazy machinery that is way past my level of expertise. (laughs) Um, and, And that kind of detects, like, the caffeine levels throughout, um, yeah, we have a whole other quality lab mm-hmm. that does all of the kind of more scientific stuff. Right. <laughs> you can tell I'm a real science person. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they look after all of that and they monitor the caffeine levels throughout everything. Um, and yeah. Have you worked in quality control before doing decaf? I mean, I... I've done the like QC part of, of roasting, like mm-hmm. or like a roasting company for sure. Um, I, I mean, I cup and I I have my Q and kind mm-hmm. of all of all of that. Um, so definitely done QC on. I've done a lot of QC on the tasting part yeah. of coffee. Um, but again, like the kind of food science QC is. The, not my forte, but it's it's really interesting, uh, and it's really cool to kind of have the opportunity to like learn about that as well. Yeah, have you had an opportunity to travel to Origin then? Yeah, I was in Honduras at the beginning of this year. Um, so anyway, I, that's kind of I mean I've been to Honduras, I've been to Peru, I've been to Costa Rica. Nicaragua. Yeah, I would say you've been to Origin then. <laughs> I've been to Origin. So. So at this point in your career, or in just like your, your that's a lot of your lifetime of working in coffee in different aspects. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced anything that kind of set you back to like reevaluate wanting to work in coffee. I know that everybody has different experiences that have made them feel like, I don't really know if I want to continue doing this or if like it's given you more to more motivation to try and change it. Like, I don't know. That's giving you the, the reins to figure that one out. 
I think there's definitely, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been times where I have kind of asked myself, why am I, like, why, why am I doing this? Right. Um, and I have been in coffee over half my life. Yeah. Um, and I've had the opportunity to see the industry change in so many ways. Um, and it's, it's amazing to see how diverse it has become Mm -hmm. because when I started, it really wasn't. Um, and I would say like when I started roasting, there were times like over and over and over and over again, I was asking myself, you know, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. Um, cause like I said, like there were literally no women roasting, mm-hmm. you know, or if you were a woman, you felt like you were like the only one, right? you know? Um, and like the amount of times that, you know, you get asked, well, can you lift 150 pounds? And it's like, who the hell can lift 150 pounds? You shouldn't be lifting 150 pounds. I shouldn't be lifting 150 pounds. And like, why does that matter? I'm not going to be lifting 150 pounds over my head and putting it in. Nobody's doing that, bro. Like, um, so there, there was a lot like happening Mm -hmm. kind of at that, at that time. Um, and a lot of that time, I honestly did. I asked myself over and over and over again, why? Why am I doing this? Um, but I think as as time progressed, I, you know, I I found my niche and and I did keep roasting. I roasted for probably almost ten years. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> um, and just again having the opportunity, I've you know I have trained. Yeah, I, I've only trained one straight man, period, ever. But I've had the opportunity to, to train, you know, I choose to train, you know, people who are more diverse or who are, you know, like I, mm-hmm. we have enough, we have enough white men roasting. It's, it's yeah. time to like, you know, train, train more people, train so I've, I've, my, my door has always been open in that retrospect and I've had the opportunity to train some, some amazing women how to roast and just seeing where it has taken them and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing them teach other women to roast yeah. and, you know, I, yeah, just like that to me is, was, you know, again, kind of a win after all of all of the garbage in, yeah. yeah in the beginning like like kind of just seeing how it kind of just yeah like all like spider webbed out mm-hmm. and and then having the opportunity to have conversations afterwards and and know that there were other other women you know like yeah there were more of us and and I think that you know we're seeing more and more diversity in the roasting realm of things and yeah. in coffee in general that I there's a long way to go don't, don't get me yeah, wrong yeah. but <laughs> but I I think it's all headed in the right direction and I will continue you know as much as I can man I feel like I'm kind of talking to like a sage 
Like you just have all this wisdom. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Um, oh, that's okay. Well, what's been your favorite part of your journey? Favorite part of my journey. Ooh. I know there's probably a couple of things throughout the course of being in the industry for so long, but. There's so long. I mean, I think kind of, I would say it's, it's seeing the people, the, whether or not they've stayed in coffee or mm-hmm. not, but like kind of seeing, seeing the people that I've, that I've trained either as, as baristas, like as baristas or roasters or, or whatever, but, but having the opportunity to kind of see them like succeed in, in whatever they're doing. Like, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of for me, the greatest accomplishment and just having the opportunity to still, to still be in, in their lives. Um, again, for me, it's, <laughs> it's, it's about like connectivity and it's right. about that. Um, but I, I, yeah, honestly, like the, the biggest success is just seeing, seeing those people that you've, you've trained and that you've, you've made connections with mm-hmm. succeed. Um, is yeah, you know, and again, having them want to keep me in their life as well, you know, like that is also like, it's just so special, like being a part of that journey and, you know, being somebody that they can still like reach out to and talk to. And it's, you know, it's like having, I don't know, having that university professor that, you know, you just kind of really loved. Like got along with. Really got along with, right. Or, so I think, I mean, that honestly is the most special thing mm-hmm. for, for me particularly. Um, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to, like I said, like compete a lot and, and coach, I would say coaching as well um, has been, you know, it's a real reward when somebody asks you, you know, asks you for help or asks you to be their coach. Like, I think, you know, having somebody trust you for that journey mm-hmm. is also just like kind of one of the most humbling experiences you can have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think those, those are it. Yeah. So what, what, like for people who are new to the industry, especially since you've, you've jumped over so many different fields in it, <laughs> What yeah. would your advice be for people who want to traverse more of the coffee world? Like to traverse more of the coffee world. I think be open, be open to opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, don't don't be afraid to try new things. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of I find a lot of people like, don't, and don't doubt yourself. Like, don't be afraid to, to, don't be afraid to fail. I definitely failed a few times. I've failed in public a few times. I've failed in front of an audience a few times. I think that is like one of the, like, it's, it's scary to be honest. Like, getting up in front of a crowd and, 
you know, talking in public can be pretty scary. Yeah. But I think that once, once you kind of realized, once you realized that, you know, nobody wants you to do badly, you know, like everybody, like once you can kind of like get past that fear, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really special to like be able to share your opinions with people who are like-minded, right? Like, yeah. and it's, it's just so much fun. Um, I, I've had, yeah, like I, I've had the opportunity to like work with a few baristas and, and whatnot. And I definitely, I mean, at one point I was helping a barista for a barista competition and he just had such a hard time like speaking in public, yeah, you know, and, and he just, he ended up not being able to complete his set. He just like, it was one of those things. He just couldn't do it. Um, he managed to serve his espressos and that was kind of, kind of it. Oh my God. Yeah. But afterwards, like one of the head judge or one of the judges for his competition set was, is a good friend of mine. And she was just like, please let him know like his espresso was the best espresso I had drank all day. Wow. You know? So it's just, everybody wants you to succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's, that's such, yeah. Um, so just don't be afraid to fail. <laughs> I think that's a good like piece of advice that kind of can apply to literally so anything many- as an adult or literally getting into new hobbies or a new career or like meeting new people. Like it can apply to so many different things that. So from the beginning of the journey to now, you said that you had seen a lot of things change through that scope. What specific things did you see that really kind of changed? It could be literally like, on the actual coffee aspect, it can be on the more s- social aspect. Oh, well, I mean, we no longer see portion packs of like orange crush coffee. <laughs> um, so that's, that's, I mean, like I said, when I first started out in coffee, like I was probably like 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie, one of my big. One of my favorite things we used to get, like, my boss loved flavored coffee. Mm-hmm. And again, I was 17, so whatever. Right. And, like, there were all these different flavors, and I would, like, literally open up one pack of this, and I would mix it with this. Yeah, and I'd make like, your own coffee, right? Like, it's just wild to think of that now, right? Like, but you know what? Back then, it was super fun and i'm sure it was garbage coffee well it was garbage coffee, but, <laughs> but it was still just like it was just so fun right so it's, it's really interesting to see like kind of how that trend is is really like pretty much gone yeah um so that's that's interesting it's also cool to see like or i mean other than in hotels Portion pack coffee, like, is not really a thing anymore. We're trying to be more sustainable, which is really great. Yeah. Um, I think, like, the movement of specialty coffee, too. You know, like, 
I mean, we were serving coffee, but we didn't know like where it you know, like where it was from. We yeah. didn't know who who was producing it. We didn't know any of those things at that time. Like it was just like, oh, it's from Colombia. It seems like it's- it was like the crossover from second wave to third wave that you were like in that wave yeah. with. Yes, I was. So it was just like I think yeah, that like kind of knowing the producer, knowing mm-hmm. where coffee's from, realizing like how much work goes into it. Like right. these were all things I had no idea when I was, yeah, a teenager. I'm just like, I don't know. It comes in this bag and I open it up and I dump it in the filter and I, you know, press start. But like yeah, I mean there's that. There's like I don't know, making espresso and then making like an extra large dry cappuccino. Like those were things. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so many things that have changed and it just makes me sometimes it makes me feel really old. Like, <laughs> oh, remember when? Yeah. Um but I I mean I and I love that you know, we, we can now tell these stories about mm-hmm. coffee. We can, we know where it's from. We know what washing stations it's from. We know mm-hmm. what producer is from. We know what farm it's from. Like we can go so far down the chain um, to tell these stories and yeah. to, you know, tell the, or- like the origin story of this mm-hmm. coffee, um, you know, and pay, we can pay more, you know, yeah, we're paying. We're paying more for coffee. We're we're doing all these things, and and I think also like for the consumer side of things, when you can show all of these steps as to how it got there, you know, it it kind of justifies for the consumer as yeah. well. Well, this oh okay, I understand why I'm you know yeah spending this much money on coffee rather than you know yeah. Than, why isn't it a dollar fifty anymore? Whatever. Yeah. I think you that know? especially like in rural parts, that that um that like old school way of drinking coffee still exists. So it's really interesting oh, yeah. when you kind of like come across that. Um, because I think that coffee, especially, was more of the social aspect from what you were experiencing too. That it it kind of like blocks off a lot of the people who grew up with that to the newer kind of generation of coffee right now where um, there's like a, a level or air of pretentiousness that's making oh, yeah. coffee completely unapproachable for people. Um, 100%. I was going to say how... I mean, you were a barista. You still are a barista. Like how did you navigate those conversations for the people that were really like, why do I have to spend like that much money on coffee? Or like, why, why is a cappuccino not in an extra large anymore? Or, you know, like, I think a lot of this is also impacted from corporate like coffee shops versus a lot of these like specialty, smaller uh, coffee shops that are trying to kind of go back to like traditional espresso beverages. Um, so like, how did you traverse those conversations? Because I feel like I kind of find myself having a hard time trying to explain it, and they it like I was like just like over their head. Yeah, I mean, I think again, it, it totally depends on like what kind of 
obviously what kind of shop you're mm-hmm. working in. Um, but I did, I did work in like a coffee roastery for a while, like, you know, that had like kind of a, let's say a wider range of customers coming through and it's, yeah. it's super hard, like, um, explaining those things. And I think, and also like trying to not have that, like, I don't ever want to have that level of pretentiousness. Yeah, like, same. There, there are times where I go into coffee shops now and I feel intimidated. Yeah, it's overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. And I'm like, I just want like my flat white. Yeah. I, it's all I want. Or, you know, but I, I mean, I think it's like, you sh- you don't need to tell them they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the first step. Is like, nobody's wrong. This right. does exist. It just doesn't exist in this shop right. here. You know? Um, and then it's again, like being, I think being kind Mm-hmm. is super important and it can get as a barista you're like oh my god i've said this 10 million times yeah but this person doesn't know that right they don't know you've answered this question a gazillion times and you hate it <laughs> this is what they love so it's just like it is it's taking a deep breath and you're like well we don't have a 20 ounce latte but i could give you two 12s <laughs> i mean <laughs> Just buy two drinks. I like, you know, it's like, it's really hard. Like, I think it's just, these are, this is what I have and this is what I can give you. I actually, you brought up flat white. I'm guessing that's like one of your favorite of the espresso beverages. Yeah. So Australian coffee culture. How well, I was going to say, how well do you know Australian coffee culture? Because I feel like I don't know Australian coffee culture at all. Oh, I love Australian coffee culture. Australian coffee is, it's like Disneyland. For me, <laughs> like I describe it, I'm like, it's like Disneyland for anybody who likes coffee. Like I had the, I guess I went to Australia for the first time for, for coffee in like 2017, maybe 2017, yeah. 2018. And it was just like amazing to see like the level First off, like just the level of professionalism in in the cafes and then to get like the quality of food and the quality of coffee in the same place was like mind blowing. Like it was just incredible. Um, And I was traveling with a friend and they are vegan. Yeah. And they had ordered a soy, I don't know, soy flat white, soy cappuccino. Mm-hmm. And they're drinking it and they're like, this is real milk. Can you drink it, Stacey? And <laughs> tell me what you think. So I drink it and I'm like, no, it's not milk. But like, again, just like the level of like quality, milk, quality mm-hmm. of milk alternatives as well is wild. It's just they're. Australia is just so much further. They're so much further ahead than we are um, in this aspect. I, th- mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're getting there. I think we're seeing like a lot of cool cafes come in to like North America in general. Yeah. That have these food programs and, you know, you're not getting like your diner coffee with your nice breakfast anymore. Kind of. We are seeing nice coffee and nice food coming together. Yeah, slow, slowly, but yeah. Um, 
Australia really, I mean, it's always impressed me. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one cafe that I went to and I feel like there was like, it was tiny, tiny little in a back alleyway, mm-hmm. hole in the wall, like tiny little back alley. I feel like there were like seven baristas behind the counter. And I'm like, I don't understand how you're not all just like mashing into each other. <laughs> but everything just like worked so in sync. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. my drinks were there and they're like, here you go. Have a nice day. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, I was really blown away. Um, Have you experienced coffee cultures in other countries too? I, yeah. Um. I, I mean, I, I do make sure to like visit as much as I can when I'm traveling, mm-hmm. um, different, different shops, different coffee. I mean, I think one of the interesting things is like being, being in Italy and like kind of having my first like robusta espresso experience. Like that was, that was wild. Yeah. I was going to say, how was that? Was it good? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say a robusta espresso. That's, oof. I mean, it's wild. Actually, I started, so we decaffeinate robusto, which mm-hmm. to me is like mind blowing. And I hadn't had a robusta period until I started working at Swiss Water. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what I was, like, I didn't even know what I was drinking. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I was like, is this what it's supposed to taste like? Is mm-hmm. this like, is it supposed to taste like leather and cedar and Yeah, it's woodsy. For a lot it's of the very time. woodsy, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's just like such I think and it's so strong and just and I yeah. had no idea. I'm like, is this good? Is this bad? Oh. I think I've so only that- had really one good experience with a robusta coffee that made me like, wow, I could drink this. And I don't know. It was like from somebody at the um retreat last year who was from Thailand and, and brought Robusta beans with them that they roasted. And I was like, wow, this is delicious. And ever since then, yeah. I'm like, I don't really think I've found that same experience since drinking that coffee. Yeah. I mean, I know that there's specialty Robusta. I just haven't mm-hmm. had the opportunity to try it yet. And I am open for yeah. it 100%. But I just have not had that that opportunity yet. But yeah, drinking that espresso is probably one of the most wild, like, intense, like, literally, and just so intense. Were you wired? Right? Like, I was wired. I was, I was gonna like, say. I was intense, and then I'm also one of those people who, like, I can't be rude. I am, like, your stereotypical Canadian. I'm like, mm, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> With the face. <laughs> no, we <mean>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it was just like, and I did, I drank, I mean, thankfully it's small and you can just kind of like shoot it back, but I did, I drank the whole thing. Obviously a lot has changed. A lot's been experienced. And I know that we talked about it before about the diversity growing within a lot of the production industry. What do you think still needs work? Like, what would you be like, if I had a magic wand, I want to pick on this first and I want to focus on this next. I want to see more diversity throughout. I mean, I think I've like literally stood on my soapbox since like, I don't know, let's say 1998. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, a random year. 
Well, I was like, okay, when did I start in coffee? It would have been 1998. Um, and like, it's just, I want to see, like, I want to see it in every, like, I, I think I've been saying the same thing since mm-hmm. I was like 17 is I just, I want to see everybody doing everything. I, you know, like I, we need more diversity in management. We need more diversity in the roastery. We need more diversity on the floor. We need more everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like, and at that time it was like, we need, you know, more women. Yeah. And now it's like, we need more people of color. We need more people, of the LGBTQ community. We need more, like, it's just, you know, we need yeah. to make space. We need to make, and that's the other thing is that, you know, we can say, Oh, we're going to hire this and we're, we're open to hire whatever, but it's also about creating the space the space that is comfortable, the space that is welcoming. Yeah. And I, I think that's right? really underrated. And that's, that's it is it's, I hear this a lot. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, like the, Oh, they just don't apply. That is not the right answer. Right. It is thinking why, why, you know, why are people not applying? Right. Why are we not enough? You know, like, why are we not the right place? And I, and I don't think enough people ask that question. Yeah. You know, how can we create the space to, you know, welcome all people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think as an industry as a whole, we really need to work better on, on creating that space. I think for me personally, um, as a lone wolf in the Midwest, as a woman and person of color roasting, it's really bleak here. Um, and what we struggle with is opportunity. So I think personally, it's really hard to find both of those things, like a safe space for people to feel the inclusion, to feel like they are not just a diversity quota, you know? Like yeah. a lot of oh, people will, will push those where it's like, well, you fit one of those categories, so we'll let you in so that we don't look like we're predominantly only hiring a, a specific demographic. But I think what's really hard working in specifically also specialty coffee and specifically in more less dense populated cities is finding opportunity and being able to apply to that. So there's like both of those two, I think, coexist as a huge underlying issue that exists in the coffee world a hundred percent yeah i think a hundred percent and it's it's also hard when you kind of like you look up for mentorship right Mm -hmm. and you you don't see you you can look up and you can look in that room and nobody looks like you yeah and and that is intimidating like yeah. going, it's it's super intimidating. What what's really interesting too is when I've seen that kind of room where there is that like you get to see a lot of these people and a lot of the people that I've been working in the industry for a really long time, and I remember looking at that and I was like, there are no Arab people here, and I was like, 
everybody else can somehow find their their people in this industry. And I just feel like it's there's absolutely no Arabic representation in this. And like coffee is a huge part of our culture. Yeah. Like it's a huge social aspect. It's a huge like there's just so much that goes into the Arabic world and how much we've really kind of created almost social boundaries through coffee. And it just is, I was really upset and I am still upset when I try and like find more people, even in base in America who like, I'm like, where can I find more Arab people to be able to bring onto this platform, you know, be able to have a voice just like everyone else who has come on the show um, and very diverse crowds that, that I'm glad that like you can be a part of and like other people that have been able to be a part of. But it's like one of the things that I wish that I had more of like a search engine or a way for me to figure out is like where is the representation for the Arabic community in the production industry also or even as a barista. I don't even know. Just all, all together. I agree with everything you yeah. said. Yeah. No, I, and I and I think also just being on this platform, right? Like, mm-hmm. is is great, and hopefully, I don't know, somebody's listening. You know, when this comes out, and they're like, "Hey, that's me," right? And I think that's one of like the kind of best feelings is when you realize that, like, if if it's listening to a podcast like mm-hmm. this, and you're like, "Whoa, hey, that's me." They're talking about. Right. I'm not. I'm not alone. Right. You know, there's somebody else out there and, you know, she feels like she's the only, you know, person like that. And then it's like, no, like, and that, that's that kind of special connectivity, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of just the diversity needing to be a a better and more developed part of of this industry, is there anything else that you would be like, well, I'm still not satisfied with this? There's so, I mean, we need... I think also, like, I mean, we need to pay more for coffee um, in general. And, but again, that is, that is such a huge thing. It's, it's so hard, again, on how do we, you know, educate consumers without being pretentious. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we need, we need to pay more for coffee, Um and, you know, if we can pay this much for a bottle of wine, why can't we pay this much for a bag of coffee or... I mean, yeah, you got to... Re- that's a really good one. It's a really <laughs> good comparison because I've dropped money on bo- just one bottle of wine that's gone in a day. You know, like... <laughs> you you don't want that to oxidize. You don't want that to go bad. So, yeah, you're literally drinking it in, like, one day. But you're willing to do that or you're willing to, you know, spend however much on dinner one night. Like we have these like luxuries. We have Mm -hmm. these things that we're totally happy to spend money on. And and I yeah, I think, you know, paying more for coffee, um it's it's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. And but I think it's also super important to the kind of, you know, not be the pretentious kind of coffee professional and be like, oh, well, do you know? And it's like, no, you don't need to go in and like, be like, did you know how long? Or, but just like being able to yeah. tell that, tell that story, right? Like, 
And then people are like, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it, it's a, like a, you need like this well-rounded customer service aspects to be able to implement like heavy informative information to almost like spoon feed it in a way where it's not condescending or patronizing. Yes, exactly. So I have a thing on my, my, my podcast called hot takes. So essentially um, it gives you an opportunity to list one or many other hot takes you have on the industry, whether it's controversial or not is besides the point. It's kind of the point of this whole show. So do you have a hot take? I feel like I've said some stuff throughout this interview as to how I feel. We did talk about a, a lot of things with that turnaround of the same kind of topic in general. Yeah, I feel like I threw some hot takes <laughs> into the conversation already. <laughs> I appreciate you being on the show. It was great chatting oh, with you. you. You're such a nice yeah. and, and humble, just pretty spirit of a person. I really, you're just very soft. The energy was very soft and I loved it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, yeah. I mean, thank you for having me on. It was fun. Yeah. Have a great rest of your night. I will. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. I think my favorite uh, thing that she threw on was literally towards the end of the episode where she's like, if you're willing to spend like a, a, a lot of money on a bottle of wine, that probably won't last more than one or two days. There really shouldn't be that much of a complaint to buy a bag of coffee that's going to go to a cause that you have a connection with now. Because usually, half the time, if you're buying from a smaller roastery or a smaller company like that, they'll give you more information on the coffee that makes you feel like you're actually contributing to something larger than yourself. I also thought the connection to her kind of like being along the wave of that second to third wave of of coffee it brings like a whole new level of a lens that we kind of like are are lacking in terms of at least the community aspect um because now that she's like she's done a lot of competitions she's worked as a roaster she's now working QC she's still competing it's like She's still, like, participating in a lot of this new wave stuff because competing was something that was really daunting for her and still, like, finding fondness from, like, the ability to just kind of know the people more than the actual coffee. So I think her bringing up her point of diversity, I thought that that story of her having, like, one friend and the other friend both being in the same, like only thinking they were the ones that existed versus like now she's like yeah i see a lot of diversity but it could still improve like that that goes to show that like yeah there's a lot more that's growing now but like we shouldn't just be complacent with where it is if like somebody who's og says it still needs to grow like and that that says a lot she really kind of like touched on some really good focal points it's on a more broad scale that can just kind of like umbrella or spider web as she said down into like different categories and i think this has been a reoccurring like issue that needs to be constantly brought to awareness of some change to happen is to diversify like we need more diversity in not just the quota aspect but on a genuine level and i liked that she brought up like 
The best way to go about it is to really look inwards on what you're creating as a company, what you're creating as a work culture and environment, what you're able to provide in terms of opportunity. Like I think overall, that's a really good, good way to end the episode.